Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. What do Amazon, Starbucks, and Apple all have in common? Well, that's pretty simple. Three words. Labor law violators. Massive strikes in the UK, and for very good reason, 17% inflation. Today on the show, we check in with the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, and it's our first Friday with Fred. Welcome to the Friday, February 3rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, will be our first guest on the show today. ColumbusConstruction.org is their website. And uh, the first thing he's going to talk about today is poaching poaching residential workers. Here's the deal. If you've been listening to the show for some duration, you know by now what's going on in central Ohio. There is a building boom, whether it's residential, commercial. We got the Intel plant. We're talking thousands of construction jobs. So with that being said, there's a lot of people in the trades, a lot of them non-union saying, you know what, we are going to central Ohio. And the Columbus Dispatch did a story on this, and apparently they're getting people from Kentucky and Indiana. They're checking their license plates. They're going into job sites saying, hey, you know what, I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. I want to sign up. (laughs) And I'll tell you what's really being affected right now is residential construction because that's typically non-union. But uh, they realize, you know what? The pot is a little bit sweeter on the other side of the fence. So they're signing up with the unions. They're doing what they have to do to join the unions, telling their friends, get involved in the apprenticeship programs because, once again, here's that line, it's the pathway to the middle class. You know, some of these jobs are going to be over $150,000 a year. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's got the attention of a whole lot of people in the Midwest. So uh, Dorsey's going to talk about that. We'll uh, give you an update on Honda, also Intel, when I just mentioned. And Amazon is putting a campus together in the uh, Columbus area. Also, the uh, seating of a... Uh, Collective Bargaining Agreement Committee, a CBA committee. So we'll get into all of that with uh, Dorsey. And this being the uh, first Friday of February, we're going to check in with Fred Redman. Fred Redman, of course, the Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, longtime steelworker. He retired from the Steelworkers Union a little over a year ago. And uh, he is in the city of Philadelphia today. Part of uh, why he is there, well, two things. He's going to address the Democratic National Committee that's meeting there and also... President Biden is there to tout his Infrastructure and Jobs Act. You may recall he was in, Biden was in Baltimore a couple of days ago dealing with the tunnel that has to be rebuilt, a tunnel that's 150 years old. (laughs) Yes, our infrastructure needs some work. 
So Fred is going to talk about that. He'll give us a uh, synopsis of what happened at the MLK conference. From what I understand, they had 700 attendees, which might be a record. And uh, we're going to talk also about union density. The numbers came out a couple of weeks ago. More union brothers and sisters, 273,000 more than a year before. However, density went down because more people entered the workforce. What does the AFL-CIO say about that? We'll talk to Fred about that and more. So Fred Redman, our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. Brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. BoydWatterson.com for more information there. Well, on Tuesday, an administrative law judge at the National Labor Relations Board found that Starbucks violated labor law during a union election at its flagship Seattle Roastery. The company illegally told workers that unionization would be futile and threatened to reduce benefits upon unionization during a union campaign at its roastery. More than 275 locations for Starbucks nationwide have joined the wave of unionizations, and this one is particularly significant. You know why? They have 100 workers because it's a roastery, so uh, they got more employees there. Meanwhile, an administrative law judge ruled this week that Amazon violated labor law in the buildup to union elections at JFK 8. That's the warehouse in Staten Island. Workers at the Fulfillment Center voted to join the Amazon Labor Union. This was almost a year ago, last April, making it the first union at the company. Despite challenges from Amazon against the election results, the Labor Board upheld the election as valid earlier this month. And this week, an administrative law judge, Benjamin Green, ruled on allegations that Amazon violated labor laws ahead of the election and ruled in favor of the union on two counts. He dismissed several other charges. First, Judge Green found that Amazon supervisors illegally threatened to withhold pay and benefit increases to workers if they voted to unionize. Secondly, Amazon illegally removed a pro-union post on an internal digital messaging board. The judge dismissed several other charges, including allegations that Amazon suggested to employees that pay and other employer-provided benefits would not carry on if workers unionize. <laughs> it's just amazing. Now, we expect uh, Amazon to, uh, to appeal all of that. And then there's Apple. Prosecutors at the Labor Board say that executives at Apple may have violated the National Labor Relations Act. At issue is a 2021 all-staff email sent from CEO Tim Cook threatening to punish leakers and contained employee handbook policies pertaining to prescribed employee communications with those outside the company. Now, the emails came after media reports regarding a company-wide meeting whose topics included hot-button political issues, such as the Texas anti-abortion bill and pay equity. The NLRB General Counsel's Office 
had stated their belief that Apple's work rules and statements tend to interfere with restrain or coerce Apple workers from exercising their collective action rights granted by the Labor Act. The spokesperson for the board stated that the board's regional director will issue a complaint unless unless the company settles. Massive strikes continue in the U.K. as workers protest against the cost of living crisis, which, by the way, has raised grocery prices at a record rate of nearly 17% inflation and nearly 11% inflation across the economy. Wow. More than 500,000 workers are on strike, including 300,000 teachers, as well as civil servants, university workers, train and bus drivers. The parliament is seeking to stymie the strikes by mandating what they call minimum service levels in some sectors that would permit workers to be fired for going on strike. I've said this on the show many, many times. Big difference between labor law in this country and in Europe, especially in the U.K., And I know some conservatives are really clamoring down on the parliament over there saying, you know what, we got to move the country forward. This is is going a little too far. So this is one to watch, friends. This is definitely one to watch. The uh, governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, very union-friendly guy, is set to sign a bill that would require employers to ensure employees accrue up to 40 hours of paid time off as part of their benefits package. Now, the bill would still permit employers to require seven days' notice for foreseeable needs, but provides protection from employer retaliation. While 14 other states and the District of Columbia mandate some amount of paid sick leave time, the Illinois bill is broader permitting time off for any reason. Several other states are also considering or likely to consider bills to expand leave, and that includes Minnesota, Michigan, Connecticut, and California. And they're doing this because the federal government has done nothing. They're leaving it up to the private sector. And the private sector, well, some companies are doing it, others are not. You know, this month, February, is Black History Month, and Liz Shuler, president of the AFL-CIO, sent a a memo out the other day talking a bit about it and uh, pointing out that black history is labor history, and black workers have always been a crucial part of the fight for justice in the labor movement, and that goes from helping to organize the meatpacking industry to the Pullman strike, and then you have the sanitation workers striking in Memphis to the countless other efforts and actions throughout our movement. She went on to say, being in a union makes a tangible difference in black workers' lives. Black union members earn 13.1% more than their black peers who are not in a union and have better benefits, more job security, safer workplaces. So now we renew the labor movement's commitment to fight against racism in the workplace, racism in society, and the economic exploitation of black people. Also, teachers and educators, they play a very important role during this month in Black History Month. While lesson plans need to recognize and celebrate the contributions of black people throughout our shared history, teachers 
also have the opportunity to explain to students the diversity of our society and provide inspiration and examples of how students can step up and make their own contributions to black history. So here's the deal. The American Federation of Teachers has a website called Share My Lesson, which provides teachers with the tools they need to make their Black History Month lessons as good as possible. From Ida B. Wells and her crusade for racial justice to Memphis in 1968, the sanitation workers strike. Definitely check that out. Go to aft.org. Share my lesson. Share my lesson website. Lots to gather there. All right, quick break. When we come back, we'll check in with the Central Ohio Building Trades. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to our live line right now and join one of our longtime regulars, also a supporter and sponsor of America's Workforce. That would be uh, Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Gave you the website before. Here's how you can follow them on Twitter. It's Build Central OH. How appropriate that is because there's so much building. Going on in Central OH, OH, of course, Ohio. Dorsey Hager, I was reading the story earlier about the poaching going on. This is amazing. <laughs> and, I, and I guess it's, uh, it's kind of expected when you got so much work. You're, you know, that, that, that message is going to travel and, and it's going to go to state after state after state. So, so talk to me about what's going on down there. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, obviously I'm getting lots of correspondence, phone calls, text, emails, you know, not only local news stations, but national news stations, both print media, 
uh, online media, um, you know, radio, television, and everybody here in Central Ohio is Intel crazy, but they're also, you know, uh, they're seeing a lot of the other work that we discuss a lot on your show that's happening as well, and they're starting to see and understand the need uh, for construction workers, uh, specifically highly skilled construction workers that have came through, you know, union apprenticeship programs to build a lot of these tech centers, to do a lot of these projects and a lot of this work that's in Columbus and Central Ohio. So <clears throat> I got a call from the Columbus Dispatch, um, and it was ironic. It was after a meeting that I had had with the with the city and the county about sustainable housing and uh the dispatch you know the, the the subject of the article was about construction and about the need for manpower and then at the very end of the interview you know the guy interviewing me said hey he says i have a friend that owns a home building business and he's saying he's having hard time meeting demands and deadlines and he's having a hard time getting his uh houses done on time and that he's constantly seeing people come to his sites or approaches people at gas stations, at lunch spots, and, and, you know, a lot of his people are leaving and joining the unions and, you know, taking on more lucrative jobs. And I said, well, what does he say about that? And he goes, well, obviously he doesn't have the pay and benefit package to be able to compete, so it's making it hard uh, to keep his employees. And I said, yeah, I said, that's, that's ironic you say that, because I just left a meeting with the city and the county, and obviously we need to build a lot of homes, we need to build a lot of condominiums, we need to build a lot more apartments buildings because this central Ohio area is just having a huge explosion of population and people. And a lot of them are going to be in the skilled trades as more and more people locate here and move here. And, you know, some transfer into our local unions and help us take on all this workload that's going to be here, not just for now, but probably for the next 25 years. And, uh, and that's where the article, you know, went off the theme that we were talking about, went right to poaching, but, you know, with the plumbers and pipe fitters and the, and the you know, huge amount of not only local and regional, but also organizers from all over the country that are in here uh, helping with their manpower demands. And they're out talking to plumbers and they're talking to pipe fitters and they're talking to welders. And then you take the IBW. Um, I don't have the exact stats right in front of me, but our IBW local here in Columbus, 683, is one of the fastest growing locals. Uh, in North America last year, uh, you know, they they gained over 500 new members in the last 12 months. And they've got organizers that are out constantly hitting jobs, letting, you know, electricians that are working in the residential market, like commercial market, letting them know about the pay and benefit structures, um, you know, that they can provide to them if they come over and work for us. And also, you know, with our apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship opportunities, you know, we have a lot of resources uh, to be able to take somebody who's interested in a career in the building trades and provide them with wraparound services to remove any barriers so that way they can be a valued employee and a valued member. And our apprenticeship programs obviously get them trained and skilled up so that they can get into our programs and help us really tackle this workforce need. But in the meantime, they can make a great living for themselves, great benefit package so they can retire with dignity and respect and take care of their family while they're while they're working their career. So it's kind of an interesting article. Uh, Bill Lafayette, who's a uh, economist here in Columbus, who uh, I'm going to be on a panel with here in a couple weeks, has been talking about the need uh, for more skilled tradespeople for at least 10 to 15 years. So uh, it was pretty good. And it was, you know, not what I expected, but the timeliness, like I said, was pretty funny because I was just leaving a meeting talking about sustainable housing. And my thing was when all these folks that are building homes see that they can have more lucrative careers, 
you know, working at a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon or Ohio State University, I, I, you know, where are we going to get people to build these homes? So it's a problem. Right. It's an issue that we're all dealing with. Now, now, Dorsey, you know a lot of those that work in the homes, the, the trades, they're non-union. They're non-union. So let me throw this at you here. What if you have somebody that's, uh, that's been in the trades, non-union, for maybe 20, 25 years? They realize now, wait a minute, I can make a whole lot more money if I'm working on that Intel facility. How would that transition be? I mean, did they have to maybe work in the apprenticeship program for a little bit? I mean, I'm sure that's going to come up down there. Yeah, I mean, it all. every local union has their own autonomy. And with their training directors and their training center, um, you know, they handle it, you know, each their own way. But usually the norm is that uh, so somebody coming over from the non-union, they'll gauge their experience, they'll gauge their education level, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of them, even though they are not union, maybe some of them went to some type of training or apprenticeship training, um, and they'll get all of that. They'll build their, you know, their resume and everything, and then they'll try to slot them accordingly, not only based on the pay that they're receiving, but also any training that they need. So, you know, we've got people that we've brought over from the non-union that, come right in and they're uh, mechanic members or journey people. We, there's other people that we've brought in from the non-union that, you know, maybe they get a year or two years of credit towards their apprenticeship. And, you know, that, that, that lessens the, the load of uh, schooling and stuff that they need to take. And we bring them right, right in and get them right to work. But the good thing about our apprenticeship programs, and I think they do a great job of it, if there is somebody who's worked in the non-union sector, you know, they find the gaps in their skill level you know, address those gaps, get them trained up. So that way, you know, not only are our employers and our customers getting somebody who can perform the work and perform it, you know, in a timely manner, efficiently and under budget and safely, but also the person's getting the training they need. So that way they can, you know, have the maximum earning potential and uh, and do well for themselves and their family. So I think it's a win-win, but that's how we're addressing it right now. And, you know, we've talked about our workforce development plan that we developed a little over a year ago, and it's, you know, it's kind of three-pronged. It's a cr- increasing our Building Futures program, our apprenticeship readiness, uh, to be able to go after a huge part of the community that maybe never understood that these programs were there or maybe thought that they couldn't get into the programs, you know, dealing with uh, minorities, women, vets, you know, people who are justice involved. And like we said, removing those barriers so they can get into our apprenticeship programs and get onto that path to the middle class expanding our apprenticeship programs so they can grow, uh, which all of our local unions are doing. They're taking in more and more apprentices, adding on teachers, um, you know, increasing training space uh, so that way we can fill these needs. And then the other one is the the organizing aspect. You know, we're going out and we're finding people in the non-union sector and industry who want a better life and want to make more money for themselves. And we're bringing them over and we're giving them that opportunity. So it's working out really well. And I think all of these things, as we work on them, are going to help us really uh, tackle the manpower need that we're having right now. And it's, you know, we're working with everybody. One Columbus Jobs, Ohio, uh, the state of Ohio, city and local officials, because we don't want somebody who's looking at coming to Columbus or even coming to Ohio saying, boy, I don't know if we want to come there. You know, there's Intel, there's Amazon, there's Google. There's going to be a huge crunch for manpower, and they're not going to have the people to build and maintain our facility. We're actually doing what we can to tackle that problem to make sure that we can build and maintain their facilities for them. It's important to point out what the, uh, for instance, the IBEW, I, I just you mentioned how many uh, people 
have joined the IBEW local over there. And if you'd be so kind, please send me the contact over there. I'd like to get them on the show. I mean, 500 members in 12 months. That's pretty phenomenal growth. Pretty phenomenal growth. But what I want to point out, you know, we were talking earlier about non-union. Now, think about the the electrician that works in uh, residential. And then you think about what's going to happen at that Intel plant. It ain't the same. <laughs> it ain't the same. No. You you need no. to get the training. You need to get into that local, which would be 683, to get the skills to work in that Intel plant. So I would imagine that's got to be somewhat attractive to some of those folks that worked in residential for so many years. But that's just, that just shows the quality of the apprenticeship programs. And I'm sure I'm sure every apprenticeship program has got to be on fire down there right right now, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and like I said, it's increasing teachers. Some of them are even adding more staff uh, with their training directory, their support staff are adding additional training directors. Um, and, and it's just the growth is going to be, you know, astronomical. I mean, Ironworkers 172 are doubling their apprenticeship space. IBW 683, who we just talked about, in the next 18 months are looking at doubling their number of apprentices. You know, plumbers and pipe fitters 189 are constantly increasing class sizes and the frequency of time that they take people in, and everyone else is just following suit. So it's, it's, it's you know, sheet metal workers are another great example, um, you know, adding training space. So uh, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have. You know, I've said it many times on your show, and somebody asked me this when the Intel announcement first came out. And, you know, I said I'd much rather be looking for 9,000 people than 9,000 jobs, and that's that's where we're all at right now. Amen to that, brother. All right. Dorsey Hager joining us on our live line, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades. Also, later in the show, it's our first Friday with Fred. Fred Redmond, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. 
America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis. And give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings, so keep them coming. Let's go back to our live line today with Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Dorsey's actually in uh, balmy Florida. T- what, what's the temperature in Florida where you are today? <laughs> Temperature's 85 today. It was 81 yesterday, which yesterday was a little bit of a... Uh, a shock. I don't know how it is in Cle- Cleveland right now, but I'm sure it's similar to Columbus with the uh, with the lovely weather that we're having. But I left Columbus, went from 18 to 81 yesterday, so it was pretty nice. But we're down here. It's not just all you know, suntan lotion and beach sitting. We're doing the work of the people. So we're in conferences, we're in meetings, and we're talking about some of the same issues that are in Columbus that are all over the country. You know, expanding apprenticeship readiness programs and apprenticeship, and uh, you know, getting people and growing our ranks and taking care of the manpower issues. So it's a good conference. It's something that happens annual, and obviously this is a great location to have that. Again, we're talking about the uh, North American Building Trades and uh, the Leadership Conference, and it's in Fort Lauderdale. Is that right? Yes, Fort Lauderdale, yes. Okay, nice night. By the way, it's 14 for the high today. Okay. Ooh, two, oh, yeah. two, touch, yeah, yeah, two yeah. touchdowns, 14. That's not good. <laughs> there you go. Hey, um, let me ask you, you know, NABTU came out with this uh, diversity study. You might have seen mm-hmm. that a couple of weeks ago yeah. they were showing the difference especially for women and uh, blacks when it comes to a uh, union versus non-union it's amazing just amazing difference and i think that we're starting to see that more here with our customers and end users in columbus and central ohio and um, you know we do a great job keeping accurate statistics of everything that we're doing and the building futures program is a perfect example we just had another presentation to an end user you know, last week in the updated stats are 92% of our students from the program graduate. 89% of those graduates are placed in a trade program where the average starting salary is about $54,000 a year. 36% of our students are justice involved, which means they've had some issues in their past. And we try to help, you know, mitigate those issues to make them employable and help them deal with those issues moving forward. And then 20%, um, of our graduates and our placements are female, which is six times the national average in the construction trades, which is about 3%. So we're really proud of those numbers. Um, those are the things that we speak about and we talk about, like I said, to customers and end users. And I think those really help us attract uh, a large base of people who are wanting to come and build here and grow and expand in Columbus and Central Ohio. Well, Dorsey, I always say it's good to see the needle moving in the right direction. And obviously it's it's working for you. So it's good to hear Let's uh, turn the page here. I know you want to talk about this uh, CBA committee. What's the what's the story there, Dorsey? Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, uh, Council President Shannon Harden uh, and then Rob Dorns, who's on council, who actually got some good news this week. One, he was elected by his peers as president pro tem, so he's second in leadership at city council. Um, but two, 
you know, petitions are due for this year's election, and all seven council members are up for re-election. And um, Rob has nobody running against him, so he'll be running unopposed this year, which means we'll be able to help him, and he'll be able to help spread the wealth and help get the team and the slate across the table. But Rob has done so much at city council to help labor. Um, they've uh, expanded and intensified uh, fair contracting, which has helped make sure that contractors, you know, are providing good pay and benefits when receiving city contracts. They're also uh, increasing apprenticeship training, which, you know, helps get everybody skilled up so they can make more money. Um, the other thing that he's done is he passed a wage theft ordinance, which this week had a national press conference where they worked with the Department of Labor and they signed a memorandum of understanding, which gives our wage theft committee here in Columbus and Central Ohio more teeth and more enforcement as they go after some of these contractors who are accused of uh, are accused and also uh, con- you know convicted of of wage theft of stealing wages from their employees. Um, you know misclassification of workers not only in Columbus. And Central Ohio is, is, is rampant everywhere. And the state of Ohio and Policy Matters estimates that about 213,000 workers per year are paid less than what they're owed. So, you know, wage theft is very rampant, and we're going to try to do what we can. And then the last thing, or the most current thing that Rob has done, and again, this is working with Council President Hardin, uh, Rob's legislative aide, um, Kevin McCann, and then Shannon's chief of staff, Mike Brown, who's a tremendous supporter uh, of labor and organized laborers. We've established a community benefits agreement uh, committee, which has James Bond from the director of finance, Rob Dorns, who's on council, Emerald Hernandez, who's assistant director of the city of Columbus Department of Development, Jeff Hunley, who's our business agent for the sheet metal workers, Jason Jenkins, who's head of diversity and inclusion for the city of Columbus, John Lacey, who comes from the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, John Mandel, who's the chairman of the NECA chapter here in Columbus, Barry Pickett, who's Mayor Ginther's labor liaison, then our good friend, President Nana Watson of the NAACP. But they're going to work together and they're going to meet and they're going to go through projects that the city is uh, is, is building, and they're going to establish guidelines and and, uh, and make recommendations to both council and administration for the utilization of community benefit agreements, which are, you know, as you know, project labor agreements um, that not only guarantee that a job's done on time and done safely and under budget, but it also guarantees that everybody working on that job is making the area standard benefits, pay, pension, annuity, and there's also an emphasis on local hiring, diversity and inclusion when it comes to females, people of color, and uh, and women. So this is a great thing. Rob and Shannon busted their butt on this and uh, did a great job getting this established. And I want to thank everybody and show my appreciation for everybody who's volunteered uh, to sit on this committee because I think it's going to be a great thing and it's really going to help not only the city of Columbus and the community, but I think it's also going to help the labor movement here in Columbus as well. So CBA has a, a dual meeting. You have a collective bargaining agreement and also community benefit agreements, right? <laughs> uh, so the community benefit agreements is the primary goal, but you know, not just looking at jobs to use these community benefit agreements on. With James Bond on there, the director of finance, they're also going to have you know the database of all the projects, large and small, that are coming out. So if there's projects that aren't using a community benefit agreement on them, we can get that information to our small and emerging contractors, um, you know, which we have a database of MBE, Edge, and SBE contractors as well, and we can get those smaller projects to them and get them in the game, so that way they can grow and expand and uh, and, and increase their market share and hopefully employees 
uh, by utilizing uh, this this committee and, and going after those projects as well. So it's a twofold thing, but I think it's going to be great to help increase union construction in the city of Columbus, which then in, in, in turn, and I think a lot of members of the community are seeing this as well, is going to increase you know, the wages and benefits for everybody, including some of the hardest hit areas of the city uh, where we have a high, you know, minority population. For example, I looked this up the every day, the other day, uh, a person of color, female, so a black woman in the city of Columbus, who's not working through a union, her average wages and salary is right around $14,000 a year, oh $14,000 a year. So you think of the, the work that we're doing through apprenticeship readiness, the work that we're doing with the mayor and also uh, council uh, to put some of these guardrails in place, I think it's really going to help the minority community and it's going to get everybody a bite at the apple and give them that shot you know, to get on that path to the middle class. 14000 You're talking like you know federal minimum wage there. I mean, that's how bad oh, yeah. it is. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Oh, you think God. about you know, taking care of yourself, taking care of a family, also having some disposable income to be able to have some time to yourself. It makes it very difficult, makes it very difficult, you know. And then, like I said, you know, you factor in the average starting salary of our people that are graduating from our apprenticeship readiness programs, and that puts them squarely in the middle class and takes care of a lot of the pitfalls that happen, you know, with poverty. It gives them health insurance and gives them that, that, that security blanket so they can take care of themselves and their family. And it also increases the tax base, too, because they're going to be supporting all the police and fire, you name it, from there. Yeah, it makes yep, sense. Absolutely makes right. a whole lot of sense. All right, buddy, I'm going to let you go, but i got one more question for you since it's going to happen next Sunday. Who are you picking Uh-oh, for the Super Bowl? here we Bowl? go, the big Who one. Who are you picking for the Super Bowl? Come on, Eagles or Chiefs? So before everybody listens to my, uh, to my pick and runs out and lays money down, let them all be aware that I was 0 for 2 last weekend. I took both road teams last weekend so and they both lost but with that being said i like the chiefs i really do i think they're a great team i think andy Reid's a great coach i still don't think that patrick mahomes is 100 percent. i think they got a lot of injuries throughout the wide receivers and they're not as deep as they've been in the past i think the eagles this is their year i think sirianni's got them rolling i think they're all having career years uh, I, I like the Eagles, so I think the Eagles are going to win this game. I think it's going to be close, four or five points. I think it's going to be a low-scoring defensive game, but I like the Eagles, so we'll see how it okay. goes. We'll see what happens. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. You enjoy that uh, warm weather because when you come back, you're going to get a culture shock over in Central Ohio. So you take exactly. care. Have a, have a safe trip home, okay? I will, and I'll try to bring some of this warm weather back. Just let me have about four to six months for delivery time, if that's okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Flash. Have a great week. You got it. Okay, quick break. Fred Redman, First Friday with Fred, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Liuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Liuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. 
We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And if you like a show, please share that show. We count all the downloads or sponsors. like to know how many people are downloading America's Workforce. And I want to tell you, it's increasing every day. So thank you very much for listening. And all shows are archived on awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. Let's go to the city of brotherly love. And joining us on line number two is Fred Redmond, secretary-treasurer of the AFL-CIO. He's in Philadelphia today because the Democratic National Committee is meeting. And also, it's my understanding that President Biden will be there. He's doing a tour throughout various parts of the Northeast to tout his Infrastructure and Jobs Act. But first, Fred Redmond, welcome to... uh, America's workforce again. And uh, you know what? Before we get into that, I was mm-hmm. reading earlier about the numbers that attended the uh, the annual MLK conference, which was not virtual this year. 700 plus. Fred, That's I think that's a record. What, what do you think? Well, it, it was a very, very good turnout. Uh, it, was, it was closer to 800, like 770 people came from throughout the country, union members. And uh, there was a lot of energy in the room. I mean, people is really energized. Uh, people uh, feel that um, we showed up at the November elections. People are energized about going forward. Um, and, you know, paying respect to Dr. King is something that the union take very seriously. Uh, you know, the pulse for that for that weekend. And just pay our respects to a man who really still would work through and the disenfranchised throughout this country. So it was a great weekend. I mean, we went through the Washington area, did community service. We had some very, very good workshops. Uh, we was privileged to have Maya Wiley, the president and CEO of the Leadership Conference from Civil Rights, addressed us and really gave us some insight in terms of, um, you know, black income throughout this country and, you know, their work in terms of, um, you know, police reform. And uh, we had some very good workshops, and we honored uh, some individuals. We gave awards to uh, now Mayor Karen Bass for election victory, and we recognized Tony Parker, who's the president of the Major League Ball Players Association, for the stand that he took in you know, brought the uh, Major League Ball players into the family of the AFL-CIO, the 58th affiliate. So all in all, Flash, it was a great weekend, and uh, the turnout was great. And, um, you know, it, it was a good good educational experience for all. 
Fred, uh, I said earlier in the show, this being Black History mm-hmm. Month, uh, what Liz Shuler sent out this week, that uh, black yeah. union members earn over 13% more than their peers who are not in a union. And I just got off the phone with Dorsey Hager, the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, and they're they're yeah. working hard. I, I know the building trades are trying to reach out to underserved communities. There's a story he shared with me. There was a, a, a young black female in the trades mm-hmm. making $14,000 a year. I mean, talk about being taken advantage of. And they're they're trying to, you know, point the people in the right direction, get involved in those apprenticeship programs. And again, it's a pathway to the middle class. And I think that message, I I really feel that message is starting to resonate. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, that's a huge story. I mean, the uh, National Associations of Building Trade Unions, NAPTU, is really, really at the cutting age of cutting edge, I'm sorry, of uh, their apprenticeship programs, pre-apprenticeship programs. You know, the uh, building trades has the largest training program in the country next to the U.S. military. There's no organization that trains more people besides the U.S. military than the North American Building Trades Unions. And what they're doing is very historic. I mean, they have not always had a very good relationship with the African-American community, but they've turned this thing around. 63.8% of the apprenticeships uh, and pre-apprenticeship programs in this country today consist of people of color and women. And that's a magnificent uh, uh, achievement because You know, what they're training people for is not just jobs, but careers, Mm -hmm. okay? And, um, you know, it's been a good relationship. As a matter of fact, I'm going with the building trades next week to Austin, Texas, to two schools, high schools, where we're going to talk about what a career means in the building trades. And, um, you know, being in Black History Month, you know, that's something that we really got to talk about more. Okay, the success of, uh, you know, uh, young people of color, you know, going into these markets and, uh, you know, going into these jobs. But the number of 13 percent African-Americans make 13 percent more uh, than non-union workers doing the same work. You know, I mean, that's an astounding achievement. And uh, we just have to get that word out more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what this show is all about. We want to make sure that that message right. reverberates. It's so important, so important. Yeah, uh, you know, a job is, you need a job. A career is that's a way a better pathway, though. You want a solid career, and you learn those skills. Nobody can take those away from you. I say that all the time on the show. All right, let's get back to uh, the the DNC. What uh, What's this all about? What's the agenda there? And I, I'm sure you're going to be... Uh, Sharing a few thoughts from Fred Redmond, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, from the labor movement in general, I mean, you know, these are the winter meetings. There's a lot of issues on the table. Yesterday, I addressed our labor caucus. We have 150. We had 150 people in the room, members of organized labor, uh, union members that are DNC delegates and you know, what we did was we reviewed our successes and talked about the work that lie ahead. Uh, and at these winter meetings, you know, there'll be a lot of discussions 
about the order of the uh, Democratic primaries. Uh, and there'll also be discussions, the three cities that that's, um, have been narrowed down is New York, Atlanta, and Chicago. One of those three cities will host the uh, Democratic National uh, Convention uh, next year. Today we're going to have not just President Biden, but also Vice President here. And, uh, you know, we'll be here. And the goal of organized labor at, with the DNC, you know, our relationship is strong. Our bonds are tight. But we have to make sure that the DNC, you know, understands, okay, you know, our agenda, our priorities, um, you know, and uh, we have to make sure that the legislation that's going to be a priority of the DNC uh, coincides with the priorities of the labor movement, passing the PRO Act, uh, you know, getting it out there on the table, uh, you know, and, you know, making sure that we're doing, we're passing legislation that's going to be important to working families in this country. So uh, we're having some robust discussions in the caucuses. And, um, you know, this is a good time. This is my first DNC meeting. I just, I got appointed last year as an at-large member leading the labor delegation. And, um, you know, there's some good trade unionists here, some good Democratic Party members here. And uh, that's what makes a winning combination. You mentioned the PRO Act, and sadly, I mean, it passed in the House last year. I don't mm-hmm. see anything happening in, with this House of Representatives. But I'll tell you, I know there's there's some support, a, a pretty decent amount of support in the Senate. But if we keep pounding that message, imagine yeah. the change in America. Fred, you, you probably know this number. There's 60 million people in this country today, today that are ready to join a union, but they know, they know the pitfalls. I mean, look what's going on with uh, Amazon and Starbucks, the union busting that's going on. I mean, unfair labor practice after unfair labor practice. I mean, the workers are getting beaten down by management, and they, right. they can't even talk about a union in their work fight, in their workplace. So I'm just wondering, that. I know the union density numbers came out a couple of weeks ago, and I, I read mm-hmm. the statements, uh, you know, like, there are some states that did really well. There are some states that didn't go anywhere. Bottom line is uh, more people did join unions last year, over 273,000. Unfortunately, more people ended, well, not unfortunately, there's more people in the workforce because of population growth. So the density went down. I'm just wondering, and I know Liz Schuler is being real aggressive on on organizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's you know going forward here? What what's the strategy here? Uh, obviously, labor law changes, more organizing, combination of the two. What what's your uh, what's your point of view on that? Yeah, combination of the two. I mean, you know, we know that this is a hostile Congress uh, to our working people, but we want to have the debate. You know, we want the you know we want to have the debate on the pro act. Uh, you know, uh, and whether or not uh, it starts in the Senate, go to the House, you know, either way. But we won't have the debate. We want people to either, uh, you know, declare that they're, wor- that, that they're for the working people in this country or they're not for the working people in this country. You know, but, uh, you know, look, like you said, we, we have uh, last year, you know, 273,000 and most of those gains 
overwhelming majority of those gains was in the private sector. Uh, you know, and, and, and the, you know, the, the news is we grew despite the opposition and the union busting that's taking place in this country. You know, look, union elections was up last year by 59.5%. Um, and, you know, the NLRB is just flooded with petitions of workers who want to join a union, file for an election. Uh, we was able in the last section to get some money for the NLRB so they can increase their staffing and, uh, you know, deal with those petitions. Uh, that department of the government, the National Labor Relations Board, you know, their budget haven't been increased in 17 years. So right. there's a concerted effort to stymie the will of workers to join the union. And that's the key. We have to change the labor laws in this country. We have to uh, make sure that workers aren't fired, aren't intimidated on the job by exercising their right to uh, join the union and collectively bargain if they choose. So, you know, on both fronts, we have to, number one, we have to change the labor laws in this country if we're going to liberate workers and give them the opportunity to join a union if they choose. And then number two, we just have to, you know, continue to talk to workers. We have to continue to organize. We have to, uh, you know, continue to, uh, you know, let workers know that in terms of, you know, the best path to the middle class is through a collective bargaining agreement. So we're working hard. We just started our Center for Transformational Organizing, which is going to be a hub, which is going to be a think tank where all the unions will get together and look at strategies in terms of, you know, industries and, you know, how do we build our capacity working together, public sector workers, uh, working with private sector workers, vice versa, you know. And, uh, you know, all of us doing our fair share because we know that, you know, look, a rising tide lifts all boats. So, you know, the and the labor movement came to that conclusion. So we're not fighting over jurisdiction. We're not fighting on what unions the workers are going to belong to once they're organized. You know, our goal is to give every worker in this country who want to belong to a union, we want to level the playing field and, uh, you know, make sure that their voices are heard. And we can only do that by changing the labor laws in this country to stop the threats and intimidations. We'll leave it on that note. Fred Redman, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, as part of our first Friday with Fred. Well, uh, you enjoy your stay there in Philly. And okay. uh, going on to Texas, man, they work you hard. They work you really hard, but you're doing such a great job. <laughs> well, Take care, you. and we'll we'll talk to you next month, okay, brother? Okay. Take care, my friend. Look forward to talking to you soon. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up Monday, we're going to check in with the United Association and the Connecticut Employees Union. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.